speaking of that Santa guy, I, I spent years beating him up from the pulpit and um, doing messages where you'd take the letters S-A-N-T-A and you'd make another word with the same letters and, and just all kinds of stuff, fun stuff you could do. But I wonder if you really know the, the true background of what we sort of celebrate here in the Western world. The legend of jolly old Saint Nick or Santa Claus uh, was really no legend at all. It's not a legend. For it began with a real person, a man by the name of Saint Nicholas, a devout Christian who lived many, many centuries ago. Very little is known about the personal life of Saint Nicholas with any great certainty, of course, except that during the early part of the 4th century, he was the bishop of the Church of Myra, which is a city on the southern coast of Asia Minor. As a matter of fact, that's a biblical city. That seaport is mentioned in Acts 27.5, where a centurion placed Paul on board an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and that ship eventually wrecked near the island of Malta, and Myra was part of what is now modern-day Turkey. Tradition says that St. Nicholas was put in prison because of his faith during the great persecution of Christians by the Roman emperor Diocletian. But he was later released when Constantine the Great became emperor, and he proclaimed Christianity, the official religion of the Roman Empire, and accepting Christianity's faith for himself. Some of you know the story of Constantine the Great. Because of his reputation for generosity and great compassion, this man, St. Nicholas, has come to exemplify the spirit of giving at Christmas time. We use those terms that we see them on cards and we see them written in different places and we think we know what that means, but that's where it originated, from this man called St. Nicholas. Now you say, how did he get transformed from, from St. Nicholas into Santa Claus? Well, let me continue the story. That part of the story actually began in Germany. And it began among Protestant churches where he was first called Chris Kringle. That derived from Christ Kindle, which translated means Christ child. Dutch settlers in New Amsterdam, which is now what? New York City. You really didn't know that? Okay, introduced it to America. And they knew of him as Saint Nicholas or Sinterklaas, which soon became here in the anglicized American English as Saint Santa Claus. Now, our modern-day concept, you say, why are you preaching on Santa Claus? Well, if you sit tight, you'll find out. The myths surrounding him, I'll tell you the myth part of it is the red suit, <laughs> the reindeer, the sleigh, the portly size, all that originated in the 1800s right here in America through the stories of Washington Irving and the cartoons of Thomas Nast and the 1822 poem by Clement Moore, which begins before Christmas and all through the house. Okay, cut. So, I'm, you're with me, I can tell. I'm going to build my message today on a premise or two along with a series of questions. If this man, St. Nicholas, if Santa Claus, and that's what we'll refer to him as, because you know him better that way, if he were here with us today, what might he tell us about how to really celebrate Christmas? 
So I've entitled my message, WWSS. How many of you were into WWJD when it was the popular thing to do? Yeah. I was WWRD, what would Reagan do? But um, I'm with you anyway. Yeah, there you go. Well, this man might tell us uh, to examine a few things in our lives, and that's exactly what I'm going to ask you to do today, and that's exactly what I think we need going into the season, all of us, each of us, to do. And I believe he might say, first off, hey, take a look at your focus. See, there are really two holidays that are celebrated on December 25. First, there's Christmas, as you and I know it, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S. And then there's also X-M-A-S, X-M-A-S. By the way, very interesting. You say, where did that come from? And does that mean when you see Xmas, they're taking Christ out of Christmas? And then some bright Christian person said, well, no, it doesn't mean that because the X is akin to the fish symbol, which, um, which uh, that means it's just a shortened version of Christ. And there are all kinds of these silly ideas. Just let me tell you where the title came from. It came from a story by C.S. Lewis called Xmas, E-X-M-A-S, and Christmas. I was reading this story the other day. His story takes place on the island of Nyaturb, which is Britain spelled backwards. And every winter, the Nyaturbians celebrated a festival they called Xmas. What'd they do? They packed the marketplaces in all sorts of weather to get ready for their celebration. They looked for cards and gifts for relatives and friends. But as the days counted on, because as they did, the preparation began to take its toll. And many of the people who've been in this rapid pace uh, were getting pale and weary. And they looked as though they were under tremendous strain. None of us looked that way in about three weeks' time or anything. Some even missed the day altogether because they were so exhausted or they'd gotten sick from overeating and overdrinking. But, C.S. Lewis tells us, there was another holiday held on the very same day and during the same period as Xmas. And the Nyatribians called it Christmas. And it was a holy, holy day, but it was very difficult to keep. Here's why. Because Xmas was so distracting. Now, I, have, I, I, I want to just say two things here. Nearly, not altogether, but nearly everyone in the United States celebrates Xmas. They celebrate something this time of year. And second, I want to say Christmas, as we know it, is difficult to keep very holy because Xmas gets so distracting. And I don't want to steal anybody's fun at Christmas. I love Christmas. We love, many of us love the season. We love what it means, love what it stands for, love the color, the lights, all the rest of it. But isn't this true that so much of our energies revolve around Xmas that it's difficult to keep Christmas holy because the Xmas part is so distracting? It's so powerful. It's so Madison Avenue. It's so... We call it the commercialization. It's so commercial. And because both holidays fall on the same date, people often confuse them. And I've fallen into that trap many times. Probably you have too. Maybe we all do. 
Remember the, the holiday classic by Dr. Zeus, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? In that story, a nasty creature called the Grinch steals all the presents, all the decorations, all the food in the little town of Whoville on Christmas Eve, and he thought he was going to keep or prevent Christmas from coming by doing that. But he's sitting alone, that picture of him with all the things he stole up on top of a hill. He's overlooking the town, and a very strange thing happened. Christmas still came. Christmas still came without the presents, without the decorations, without all the food. And just like many other people, the Grinch was confused. He didn't steal Christmas. He stole Xmas. Now look, it takes a conscientious, it takes a disciplined effort by Christians, especially at this time of the year, to keep the focus on the primary event of history. And the primary event of this celebration is the primary event of history, and that is the coming of our Savior into this world. I love what Pastor Todd shared with us last week about boldness, didn't you? Did you use it this week? How many offended somebody this week with your, with your faith, at least? Okay, three people have used boldness. All right. No, he didn't, we, he didn't preach that message just to have you say, oh, that was really good. We're expecting to see some boldness. And we're, when you see boldness, you're going to see results. And it's difficult to be bold at a time like this when the whole world all of a sudden got religious. Oh, yeah, they're all about Christmas. They're all about... And yet they miss the central message, the coming of our Savior into this world. Now, you won't find him prominently displayed amidst all the holiday trimmings and decor and many of the stores that you visit during the next few days. Matter of fact, in some places you'll be asked not to say Merry Christmas, but Happy Hanukkah. That's right. The focus of that... (laughs) <laughs> the focus of that holiday that they're celebra- the world is celebrating out there is not on Jesus. I'm not mad about it. I'm not upset. I'm not trying to overturn our, uh, you know, our culture. It is what it is. And what a lot of us have been brought up to just, you know, wow, have a time, celebrate. That's fine. But I'm just saying the focus of the holiday for most of the world is not on the person of Jesus. Now, the focus of the holiday that we see most obviously is something that would probably grieve the Santa of old, that historical St. Nicholas. Matter of fact, I think if he were here today, he'd probably point us to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And we read there, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means, which means God with us. Let's all say that together. God with us. So WWSS, so what would Santa say? Well, it's only a guess, but I think if he were here today, he'd say, let's take a look at our focus. Where is our focus as we go into this 2014 Christmas season? I think secondly, he'd say, you ought to take a look at your faith. Now, some people work pretty hard at making Santa become real to their children. Um, Let's just do some sociological survey here. (coughs) Did did any of you have have a time uh, when your children were little where you tried to really keep it 
I mean, get them believing and get them really thinking. About, or maybe you were brought up that way. Just Maybe you still believe in Santa. I hope you do because I do too. Okay. But you try, you see, you want to make Santa real to your children. Why? So they'll believe in him. And, of course, there's an ulterior motive for all parents, and that is for maybe a day or two in the month of December, your kids will behave. But that's stretching it, I understand. Haven't we all been there, though? Haven't we all believed in kind of the, the magic, if you will, or that mystic touch of Christmas at one time or another in our lives? Admit it. And, 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 and we, we try to convince our children that, you know, it's, it's this, but it's more than this, too, and it's, it's great stuff. In some homes, you know, the presents are not, never put under the tree until late, 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 late on Christmas Eve. Many times it's um, into the wee hours of, uh, of Christmas Day. Um, I've been there. Now, where is that bolt? And I know we don't have any tools, we don't have any equipment, we don't have any hardware to get those pedals on that bicycle or on that tricycle. How are we going to... And by the way, where is slot A? Because tab B is supposed to go in slot A. My word, it's 1230. And we've got a lot of wrapping to do yet. After the children have gone to bed, you go through this lovely peaceful time. And that is... After the children have set out the milk and cookies, how many have been there? Yeah, yeah, gluttons. And, um, and then there's, and, and, yeah, and then this mysterious Mr. Claus is going to eat those cookies and drink that milk and so on. I'd quit the job right there if that's all I was getting was milk and cookies. But anyway, he keeps going, right? Then on Christmas morning, they find an assortment of gifts and surprises down there around that tree that weren't there when they went to bed. And they also found an empty plate that cookies were on and an empty milk glass and a stocking that's full of candy and funny, fun things. And, and that is if you've been nice and not naughty, Rick. Okay. So, and this all works pretty well until the children begin to pick up. And after a while, and I can't tell you exactly what age it is, maybe yours have already hit it. They pick up that Santa's handwriting on the gift tags. Look... <laughs> looks an awful lot like the way mom signs her name on their birthday card. And then the moment of truth starts to come through, like light through a window. Either Santa is signing birthday cards for mom, or, or, or mom is Santa Claus. My, 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 my. Now, here's why... I'm sure you'll want to hear this. Say yes. Yeah. Here are some reasons why believing in Santa Claus takes a lot of faith. I read this some time ago, and I love it. I just love it. It's, some of you will really identify with this. It is because you're in the details, and you understand all this stuff, and, uh, and, and I'm just going to read it for you. It's called Santa Claus, an Engineer's Perspective. Fasten your seatbelts, hang on, and let's think about it for a little bit. I want to give you four scientific conclusions. Number one, there are approximately 2 billion children, that is persons under 18, in this world. However, 
Since Santa does not visit children of Muslim, Hindu, Jewish, Jehovah Witness, or Buddhist religions, this would reduce the workload for Christmas night to about 15% of that total, or 378 million, according to the Population Reference Bureau. So, at an average census rate of 3.5 children per house, I often thought I wouldn't want to be that 0.5, would you? <laughs> Uh, 3.5 children per household, that comes to 108 million homes. You calculating all this? Okay, you with me? Presuming that there is at least one, at least one good child in each home. N that's quite a presumption. So you better be good, some of you. you. You need to listen up here real carefully. These aren't just my ideas. These are scientific conclusions. Scientific... I detect something. It sounds like doubt. Number two scientific conclusion. This is real stuff. Santa has about 31 hours of Christmas to work with. Thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, assuming he travels, and I hope he does, east to west, which seems logical, this works out to 967.7 visits per second. This is scientific. It's not meant to be laughed at. This is to say that for each Christian household with a good child, Santa has around one one-thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left for him, get back up the chimney, jump into the sleigh, and get on to the next house. That's really why it's pointless to stay up and watch for him. I mean, that makes no sense at all. And that's why you've done it and you've missed him. Huh? Assuming that each of these 108 million stops is evenly distributed around the earth, which, of course, we know is false. But we'll accept it for the purpose of our calculation because sometimes we just have to take a, you know, a vector and go there. We are now talking about 0 0.78 miles per household. A total trip of 75.5 million miles, not counting bathroom stops <laughs> or coffee breaks. This means Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second. That's 3,000 times the speed of sound. And for purposes of comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle is the Ulysses space probe and that moves at a pokey 27.4 miles per second. And a conventional reindeer can run, at best, 15 miles an hour. That'd be on a good day. Are you still there? Hey, there's more. Scientific conclusion number three is the payload of the sleigh adds another interesting element. Now, assuming that each child has nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, which would be about two pounds, the sleigh, then, is carrying over 500,000 tons, not counting Santa himself. <laughs> and on land, a conventional reindeer could pull no more than 300 pounds, even granting that their flying reindeer could pull 10 times the normal amount, perhaps. The job can't be done with eight or even nine reindeer. 
Santa would need, get this, 360,000 of them. Now that, seriously, you might want to check your roof before the 25th because that seriously increases the payload, not counting the weight of the sleigh, by about another 54,000 tons or roughly seven times the weight of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Elizabeth II, uh, the ship, not the monarch. <laughs> and and I got to believe that here is a fact. This is a scientific fact that you didn't know. So now I feel really smart on this. You probably knew all that other stuff. But scientific conclusion number four is that 600,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This would heat up the reindeer in the same fashion as a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, which means the lead pair of reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules or joules of energy per second each. In short, they would burst into flames almost instantaneously, expose, oh, there's no children in here, exposing the reindeer behind them and creating deafening sonic booms in their wake. The entire reindeer team would be vaporized within 4.26 thousandths of a second, or right about the time Santa reached the fifth house on his trip. <laughs> Not that it matters, however, since Santa, as a result of accelerating from a dead stop, to 650 miles per second in 0.001 seconds would be subjected to centrifugal forces of 17,500 Gs, a 250-pound Santa, which I think is ludicrously slim, <laughs> would be pinned to the back of the sleigh by 4,315,015 pounds of force, instantly crushing his bones and his organs, reducing him to a quivering blob of pink goo. <laughs> Therefore, cover your children's ears, if Santa did exist, don't let your kids listen to this message at home either. If he did exist, he's dead now. <laughs> so really, it is pretty easy to believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> right. Like believing in evolution. Which one of the 33 theories are we talking? Good lesson, huh? And there'll be a test, and those are going to be some key questions, so I'm expecting you to be able to give that back to me. Let me ask this. Do we make it easier? And, and, and I'm, this is not a criticism. This is not judgment. Just a question. I'm asking myself this question. I'm asking the church this question. I'm asking you parents this question. I'm asking everybody this question. Do we make it easier or more difficult for the children to, be, to believe in Jesus Christ through the faith they see in us? You know, our children can learn so much about trusting Christ in the way they see us do it. I remember a young dad who was telling about being out, and he was actually holiday shopping this time of year with his young son. 
and he decided that they were going down to the, to the, sh- the shopping mall, and it was going to be a zoo, and he just knew it. And he said, well, son, let's not worry about it. There may, may not be any place to park, but I'm going to pray for a space. And when they got to the store, the parking lot was filled with cars. Sometimes you go by those parking lots and you wonder, how, who was the first car in there? Like, how did that parking lot ever get so full? I mean, there's not one space anywhere. And he said, as he did one final kind of circle around the whole parking lot, he came right up by the front of the building, and there was an open space right there. And he told his son that he had been praying for, he had prayed for a space, and the son said, wow. That's all he could say was, wow. I remember Billy Graham years ago, people say, well, if you're going in somewhere and you're in a hurry, or you got a meeting with someone and you're driving your car downtown and, and, and you're looking for a space and, and there's one there, then there's a parking meter and, 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 and he's, someone asked him, they said, so Billy, would you, would you just pray that that space be open? He said, no, I don't pray that that space be open. I pray that the space be open and there be time on the meter. <laughs> you see, this is a way for us to show children, show our children that the Lord is real and he's real in your life, he's real in my life, he's real in their life, their life. Rich Mullins a few years ago referred to his parents in a song and he said of them this, I quote, they worked to give faith hands and feet, but somehow gave it wings. And I love those words. So if Santa were here today, I think the saintly gentleman might point us to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And he's speaking of the Lord Jesus here. And here's what Peter said. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, I like this, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, it's just kind of wondering what would Santa say, but maybe if that original Santa were here today, he'd also say, don't just take a look at your focus and don't just take a look at your faith, but take a look at your giving. Now, this is all about giving this time of year. That's what we hear. We kind of act like it's all about giving, And we kind of teach our children that, too. I think we kind of get one one wheel off the road there when we do it, but we seem to all get caught up in it. It's interesting because a substantial portion of our holiday gift-giving occurs not about getting or giving, it's about exchanging. See, we give presents to others who also give presents to us. And that's one form of giving, and I'm not here to say it's bad. I don't have an opinion on that. It doesn't matter. However, a truly sacrificial gift, it's important to get this, is something given to someone who cannot give back anything in return. There's a legend about, and I think this is a legendary story. I don't think it has any... uh, we don't know that it has basis in historical fact, but there's a legend, and a lot of them, about St. Nicholas the Man. And the legend says he learned of a poor man who had three daughters, and this family was so poor 
They didn't even have money for food. He couldn't, this man couldn't even feed his wife and three daughters. So St. Nicholas prayed for God to guide him on how he could help this family and how he could be an encouragement to this family. And then he remembered the treasures of three bags of gold that he'd inherited from his parents. And late at night, St. Nicholas went to the home of the poor family. He found a window slightly open, and he slipped a bag of gold inside. And from that gift, that family had so much wealth from that one bag of gold that they were able to save enough for the oldest daughter to have a dowry, ensuring her of an honorable marriage and a good start to life. And when St. Nicholas learned this later, you know what he did? He put the other two bags of gold through the family's window late one night so that all three of those daughters could be happily married and have an honorable start to their lives. Teachable moment is on us, and I want us to get this. Some of the best gifts are the ones that no one knows you even gave, except you. Some of the best gifts are the ones that that, that no one knows you gave, except you. Maybe you could give to some children that have nothing to give you. Maybe you could contribute to some family this year who has nothing to give back and probably has nothing to even receive this year. If you're interested, Pastor Todd and I could give you some ideas. I think if he were here, Santa might also point us to that great verse of Scripture, Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. And I'm going to ask that we read it together. So let's read Acts 20 and 35. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. I think they still ring true today. No, Santa isn't here, but if he were, he might tell us, take a look at your focus. He might say, take a good look at your faith. Maybe he'd say, take a look at your giving. But I can also imagine if he were here today, he'd tell us if you want to best celebrate Christmas, take a look at your love. Santa might tell us, when you love me, your love costs you nothing. You've turned me into someone who can give you anything, yet asks you for nothing in return. And i got to believe that that's one of the reasons Santa is so popular. Because we've identified with that person or with that image that we get something from this person and we don't have to give anything back. We don't have to contribute anything. I guess he ranks right up there with angels and grandparents. People view them as great helpers who really demand nothing from us. Love is costly. Read through your Bible. The Bible always links. There's a link between love 
and obedience. We learned earlier that St. Nicholas is said to have been imprisoned for his faith. That was during the great persecution of Diocletian, the Roman emperor, very evil, very uh, just, just a sinister person. But through that experience, Nicholas came to have something in common with a much more recent Christian. A man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I recommend Bonhoeffer if you like reading deep stuff. I don't recommend Bonhoeffer for all of his theological positions, but a wonderful Christian, I believe he is, he was, he was a German minister. He was put in prison and treated unbelievably cruel by the Nazi regime during World War II. And until you've heard or read or experienced or met one of these people, your life as a Christian is just missing a little bit of something. I've got to tell you, the two most incredible people on this globe that I ever met one was a man by the name of Harlan Popoff. And uh, he'd been, he, he was a Romanian pastor that, under the communist regime, had been in the gulag for 14 years. And uh, the other was Richard Wormbrand. Some of you have read Prison Letters. Uh, if you haven't, I recommend it if you want something to really increase your faith. But anyway, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned by the Nazis in, in a camp, and one of his famous books was entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And he contrasts his famous concepts, and here's how he does it. Cheap grace versus costly grace. He says cheap grace, and these are his words, is the type of religion that believes salvation just comes easily. Just by believing a set of doctrines. And in his own words, once again, I quote, Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. In other words, no change. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, and absolution without contrition. End of quote. Costly grace, in contrast, declares that salvation is costly. It cost, think of this, it costs God His only Son. And it demands obedience, that is, a life of discipleship. That is, becoming a learner, follower, disciple of Christ, who takes up His cross and follows. Now, it's hard to imagine Santa Claus in prison, <laughs> but that's what Diocletian did to the great saint. What was St. Nicholas to say? Hey, I'm the worldwide symbol of peace, joy, and philanthropic activity. Don't throw me in prison, you old Scrooge. I'm just a harmless figure that makes Christmas a great holiday for children and for everyone to enjoy. I'm here to soften the exclusively Christian nature of the birth of Christ by making the celebration more acceptable to people of all persuasions. Why are you angry with me and why are you putting me in prison? Well, St. Nicholas, I'll answer that for you. Because Diocletian finds you a threat. Precisely because he was, you were exclusively Christian. Because Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, saw, like it says in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. 
for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we... There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No name under heaven. No person under heaven. No plan under heaven. No religion under heaven. And that name is the name of Jesus Christ. Santa's faith saw devotion to Jesus Christ as being very, very costly, even worth the cost of persecution. And you can be sure if he were here today, St. Nicholas might point us also to 1 John chapter 5 and say, read verses 3 and 4. Which read, in fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now one last thought. What would Santa say to us if he were here this morning? Listen very carefully. Listen very carefully. About the way we celebrate Christmas. And it's okay to cringe a little bit. It's okay to think, oh, maybe, maybe this is going to hurt. I mean, would it, would it, would it sound like this? Would it come out this way? And there were, in the same country, children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Santa Claus came upon them. And they were sore afraid. And Santa said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey, dressing, and fruitcake, and many presents. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the presents wrapped in bright paper, lying beneath a tree, adorned with tinsel and colored balls and lights. And suddenly there will be with you a great multitude of relatives and friends, praising you and saying, Thank you so much. It's just what I wanted. And we laugh. But really, it's sad. It's sad in some way that today such a loyal follower of Jesus Christ, St. Nicholas, has really has, he's come to have more connection or he's more common now with the commercialization of American Christmas than with the struggles that he went through in the 4th century to keep the early church alive in the face of cruel and intense persecution. You see, the Santa of history would have pointed us to Jesus Christ. And instead of some of the stuff I just read, he would have said something like this. Look to the manger, not the mantle. See the Savior, not the sleigh. Find the rain Redeemer, not the reindeer, the one lying in the hay. Try prayer instead of wish lists. Give thanks to God above. Try holiness this Christmas and sacrificial love. Worry more about your lifestyle than a stocking full of coal. 
Confess your sins to Jesus, and He will make you whole. He will make you whole. What's it about? Who is it about? Why are we concerned? What is our call to action here? It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about the coming of the Savior to this world. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about His love. It's all about His forgiveness. It's all about why He came. It's all about the whole plan that was devised by God before the foundation of the world. It's all, and it comes down to individuals. It comes down to you as an individual. It comes down to me. It comes down to every person in this room, every person in this building, every person in this community, yay, every person in this world. And if we could just say with boldness to every one of those people, it's all about Jesus. Trust Him. Accept Him. Live for Him. Enjoy Him. And He will make you whole. What indeed, what would Santa say? If you're here this morning and you've never truly made it personal, you've never really taken time to just stop and pray and ask God for forgiveness of your sin and embrace and engage and accept the free gift of salvation offered only in Christ. I'm going to urge you to do that today. In just a moment, I'm going to play a song uh, on the on the system that you're going. I just know you're going to you're going to fall in love with it if you haven't already heard it. It sort of says everything that we've been considering this morning, and it brings it down to this same point that it's all about the grace of God. It's all about His eternal love. It's all about salvation. It's all about the coming of our Savior. The song is called, Call It Grace. And when you hear it, I want you to think about the grace of God at work in your life. If you've never experienced it, I want you to call out to God for His salvation today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you even allowed us to have some historical perspective on Christmas that we maybe haven't had before. And, and, and Lord, to be able to see that the real meaning here is not about what we give or what we get or how many people we entertain or how good it looks or how much it costs or what kind of deal we got. It's all about you. It's all about the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We just pray, Lord, that that would be the theme from this day forward for the next 25 days and beyond, that the whole world will see and everyone will know that indeed Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's hear this song.